We continue this morning in our, uh, our series on um, Crosswinds Family Values, the, the values that drive us, the values that, that motivate us, uh, the values that make us who we are. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to begin in, in verse uh, 11, and I'm going to read that for you, and then we'll, we'll dive in and talk about how that relates specifically to, to Crosswind's family values. So verse 11, chapter 4 of Ephesians says this, And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be like little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching." By human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself uh, in love by the proper working of each individual part. Here's, here's one, of, uh, one of Crosswind's key, key ideas. This is a Obviously, we're talking about our values in general, but this is, this is a key concept uh, and has been from the beginning with something that, 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 is, um, that, that is a motivator for us anytime we're talking about ministry and thinking about, the, of, about it. And this is the idea that everybody who comes to Crosswinds and everyone who's a, who's a covenant member of Crosswinds, a part of us committed to, to uh, being a part of Crosswinds, everyone then is, is a minister. Um, it used to be, or the idea has, has sometimes been said, and it still is in, in some congregations, the idea was that the pastor was the minister and the people who, who came, came to be ministered to. Uh, essentially, and still a lot of places in our, uh, in, in our, our evangelical background, in a lot of places, essentially the pastor becomes a, a chaplain, and a chaplain's job is to dispense spiritual care and spiritual teachings, and people would come to him for the meeting of, of their own needs, and they would kind of go home. And so it has been sort of popular, or sort of, no, I wouldn't say popular, I don't think there's an intentionality to it, but the result in, in our churches in a lot of places was that church became something that you did on a Sunday morning. You showed up on Sunday morning to get your, your spiritual fix or your spiritual goods. You showed up to get your message. You showed up to get your, your, your spiritual counseling, your, your spiritual uh, product, whatever that was, and you went home, and hopefully that got you through the rest of the week until you came back. And so then, then Sunday morning became like a, a fueling station, and the, and the pastor or the ministers of, of the congregation, those those people who vocationally worked for the congregation or had some, some title became like, like the filling station or the gas pump that pumped the fuel for your, for your week into you. And so uh, that, that sort of structure, that sort of thought process has been, been de facto prominent in our, in our churches uh, for, for some time now. And so one of the things that we have strongly, uh, strongly believed in strongly, uh, um, that has, I'm going to take it back. Uh, 
Uh, one of the things that, that, is, that is a part of Crosswinds is we want to push back against that idea that the, the people, people like myself, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Tom, uh, Pastor Dave, the other pastor, uh, Aaron, the idea that we are simply dispensers of, of spiritual products, but rather the way God designed for the church to work is not that, that you would come and that we would dispense goods, but that all of us would be working together for, for the same uh, for, for the same goal and for, for the same end. Um, other people who, who, who uh, look at this from a more scholarly uh, perspective uh, have identified uh, the, the same issue. And actually, I think what we'll do is we'll, do, we'll dive into some of the descriptions in the passage and we'll come back to that idea here. But I would like to point out in verse 10 that it says, uh, sorry, verse 11, he himself, he being Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Um, it, it says, um, it actually translates very well here when it says, he gave uh, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors. In, the, in that first little part, it says, some to be. Uh, the idea, I think, most closely mirrored with the original language is this idea is that God, in, in his goodness and God, in, in designing his own church, gave to the church some of these, these five groups of, of people. So uh, the, the five groups would be apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, uh, pastors, and, and teachers. Uh, he gave all of those as gifts to the church for the, for the, for the work of, of the church. And I just want to talk about those for a minute because others have said what has happened in, in our culture in our time is that we have, we have focused on some of these gifts given to the church. We have focused on some of those to the inclusion of others. The best way to say this, the best way to understand this, I think, is that, that God in his goodness does give uh, some of these to, to the church for the purpose of building up the, the church. Uh, Alan Hirsch, who writes a lot about the church and how the church grows and how the church um, how the church grew in history and how the church might grow in the future identifies these gifts as something called APEST. APEST is just, a, just an acronym that means apostles, prophets, evangelists. For the word pastors, he uses the word shepherd and teachers. What has happened over, over the last however many generations and still happens a lot of time in the church is that we put an emphasis on the shepherds and in, in teachers or the pastors and uh, in, in teachers and, and, and those people become, as I talked about, the dispensers of, of spiritual goods. We have not, unfortunately, put a lot of emphasis on the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. So I just want to define very quickly for you and discuss that. Obviously, apostles in, in the first century, if you're talking about the apostle uh, Paul or, or Peter or the apostles in the first century, they had a specific role in the church. They were specific pillars. They had seen Jesus with, with their eyes. They were big A apostles. Right? There are not in our congregation any big A apostles. You have not, you have not seen Jesus with your eyes. You have not uh, experienced him firsthand. And yet, we don't think when Paul uses the word apostles here that he means, uh, he means apostles in that sense, but rather he, he's talking about an apostolic gifting. And so what apostles did in, in, the, in the first century, apart from that big A, if we're just talking about the role of apostles, what apostles did is that they were, they were 
missionary strategist, missionary-minded, and they helped the larger organization of the church go. And so Paul actually fills that, that role uh, in, in both ways by virtue of seeing, uh, seeing Jesus on the road to Damascus. But also, even if he had not in the little A sense, Paul's role is to expand the church. Paul's role is to lead other leaders. Paul's role is to, is to, be, the, to be the strategist. In, in our current culture, those people who have the mind to, to expand the church, to, to lead in church planting movements, uh, to do those sorts of things, are people with apostolic giftings. They're the people with the vision, the vision for something uh, larger than just the local church, but they have a vision for local churches for the expansion uh, of, of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, prophets, again, Sometimes, especially if you come from, from the kind of background like myself, maybe you hear the word prophets and you, you, you associate a prophet with, with two things. One, you might associate with the Old Testament uh, prophets, which certainly uh, we do not have in the church Old Testament uh, prophets, or you associate it with, with prophecy. And a lot of times we, we associate prophecy with a sign gift, the ability to predictively, uh, predictively tell, the, you, tell the future or tell future events. Again, we don't think that Paul has primarily that idea here when he speaks of prophets, but rather a prophet is, had been those things. But when we talk about prophet or prophetic gifting in the church, a prophet is someone who speaks a truth that needs to be spoken even when it is, even when it is difficult. Um, you will know... Um, at certain times, it can be difficult to speak, to speak a truth, to speak a truth even in love, to say that thing which needs to be said, to identify something that is going on in, in culture and to call out that, that sin in the culture, whether that be the larger culture or the culture of a congregation or even into another, uh, another believer's life. So the prophet is then someone who has the ability to, to recognize things that need to, difficult truths that need to be said, and often they speak those, those, those truths to, to power, or they speak those truths into situations where it's difficult, uh, difficult to say those, those things. Um, uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about uh, the men of Ishakar, the men of Ishakar who knew which direction Israel should take. They had, they had special insight. They understood where Israel should go. The men of Ishakar in the Old Testament are sort of a combination uh, of, of apostolic but also prophetic. They were willing to speak to, to the issue and speak to where people had to go. Uh, I once was... Um, I, I once w was with my good friend in, uh, Bishop Nonung in, in the Philippines, and we were having a conversation, and we were having a, a conversation about about the church and some of the problems in the church and some of the things that needed to, to change in the church and some of the things that needed to be need to be worked on. We're just having a conversation, and he he stopped and said to me, he said, hmm, said, "You're a prophet, and people in your own culture aren't going to like you." To which I said, well, thank you. That's the sweetest thing anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing about that. Both of those things spoken. He was, he was saying to me, you're speaking prophetically. And while doing so, he was speaking as a prophet to me. 
Another time, we were, we were sitting there, another time we were together and we were talking about this, this ability to talk, and he talked about how, okay, you have this ability to, to say this, but you need to be careful in how you say it and how you might say it, and you might need to adjust this, and you might need to change this. He was warning me about how I expressed those things. Again, he was speaking prophetically. He was saying, you might need to change here and here and here. Uh, he was speaking as a prophet uh, into uh, my life in that, that way. Uh, and then the last uh, of these, uh, the first three is evangelists and some evangelists. Evangelists are people with a natural gifting and natural ability to speak the good news into people's lives and to see, and to see results. Now, sometimes we're going to read these gifts and go, oh good, other people have that gift, so I don't have to do it. We'll come on that in a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute, but that's not the point. The idea here is some people are just naturally gifted evangelists. They have the ability to, to, to say the right things, to live the right way, to connect in the, in the right way. They're naturally evangelists. For, for us, if you've been around Crosswinds for any amount of time, you know that we have a, have a missionary that we're sending to, to Thailand. His name is Josh Grimaldi. But one of the functions Josh Grimaldi had when he was with us regularly is he was our evangelist. He was gifted at it. He regularly met people, and he regularly spoke the good news into their life. And he did so in a way that people were, were, were seldom offended at him. They were drawn to the message that he had. We identified that, that in him uh, very early on and sought to develop it. The, the thing is, is that in the way in which it developed, God chose to use that development and send him to Thailand to use it. Uh, but we're, we're excited about, about that. He had the evangelist uh, gifting. And then the, the, the next two, pastors and teachers, are actually the ones that we're most familiar with in our, our congregations because most people that you hire to do like what I myself do, most people that we hire in churches, most people if you grew up in a church, they were hired for their, for their uh, shepherding, pastor shepherd, same word, their shepherding and teaching ability. And so uh, to pastor uh, means, to, means to lead, but it also means to care for. And so to shepherd, to guide. The, the shepherd was responsible for the welfare of the sheep. He was responsible for their physical welfare or, as well as everything else about them. And when it's used in, in the congregation, uh, it, it typically means that the pastor is responsible for the emotional welfare, the emotional well-being, uh, the emotional care of, of the congregation, and for its, its guidance. A shepherd, a lot of what he did is guide the sheep to where they're supposed to go. A lot of what a, what a shepherd does is, is guidance. We have typically, over the last however many years in the church, hired predominantly shepherds and teachers to lead, to lead our congregation. In fact, we, we have so done that that we have made the, the term for he who leads the church, which, uh, which scripture would use, use a word like overseer, which scripture might use a word as elder. Uh, scripture might use these words for the people who oversee the church. We have taken one of the roles of leader of the church, the person who leads in the church, and we have called that a pastor uh, simply because that's who we typically put in to roles, meaning that 
The role in which I, I, I fill in, in Crosswinds, we call that role pastor, but actually in, 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 the, biblical, uh, in the biblical system, there, there's other names that might be used, and there's other giftings that are specifically used. But it is so common for us to put into this role a person with shepherd, uh, with shepherd teaching gifting. That's what we, we typically put into this role, that we just use the word, use the word pastor. Uh, pastors and teachers, that is uh, because we, we associate with this, this role and associate with church leadership, the, the ministry and the word, the instruction in, in the word, even though I would suggest that all of these, these gifts are based in, in teaching of the word. We associate the person who stands up in, um, in preaches in shepherds with what it means to, to lead a church. And so uh, that, it's, a, it's a quick overview, simply so I, I can say this. We believe... And we think that scripture is teaching that for the church to be, to be functional, for the church to be what it needs to be, for the church to grow, for the church to expand, for the church to be the kind of movement in, in culture and country and, and in the world that it needs to be, that the church needs all of these, these gifts in the church. So the church needs apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and, and teachers, or as I'm more used to saying, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. This is a, this is a group of giftings uh, that, that, that certain books might call APEST, right? A-P-E-S-T. And what has happened over the last uh, however many years of the church is that we have lots of ST, lots of shepherds, teachers, but we have lost our connection with what I call the apes. The, the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. And what the church needs is all of that. We need shepherds and teachers, but we also need the, the apes. We need the apes for, for the reason that just like ape sounds aggressive, apes are aggressive, apes tend to be the, the aggressive wing of, of the church, not aggressive like, like a gorilla would attack you if you fell into its cage, but, but just as a mnemonic device, just to remember, just as a, as a mental device, the apes are the ones who are into the aggressive expansion of, of the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, that's the church expansion, the church growth, the, the evangelism, uh, church planting wing uh, of the church. And so I point all of this out to you, uh, to say this, you probably don't know it, but Crosswinds is largely organized around this way of thinking, which is apest thinking. We are organized around the idea of asking ourselves, okay, who is speaking apostolically? Who is leading apostolically in our congregation? Okay, who is who's congregationally prophetic? Okay, who is the the evangelist? Who are identifying these gifts in in people? And so I just want to say parenthetically, though, we'll discuss it in a moment. We, we believe that these, these gifts are given to the church, but these gifts are meant to be expressed in various ways by all in the church. But just as, as a parenthesis, uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. But as we organize in the church, when we talk about leadership, one of the things I routinely have people do when, when they come to work with us is we look at this and we go, okay, where is your gifting in this area? As we look at how Paul is laying out gifting in the church, where does your gifting lie? Are you, do you have apostolic gifting? Do you have prophetic gifting? Do you have evangelistic gifting? When we recognize that gifting in a person like we did with, with, with Josh 
Grimaldi, we try, and, we try and use that gifting and incorporate that gifting into the church. Some have said, suggested that the reason churches in the, in the first century and churches in places like China and churches that, that have expanded quickly, when you see churches in rapid, uh, rapid expansion where there's a church plant movement going on, you will recognize these gifts, all of these gifts functioning together well. And so we ask this question, who are our prophets, who are our, our evangelists, who are our, um, our apostles? And we also ask, well, who are our pastors and our teachers? Now, so I want you to hold that in your mind and we'll come back to it. But I say we organize like that uh, in Crossroads. We ask this question. And the reason we ask is verse 12. The role of those guys, the apostles, the, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, what is their role? Their role is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So it, it, it sometimes is thought in people's heads that the role of... Um, the role of the pastor is to do all the spiritual stuff and the spiritual work, and the role of the people, the, the, so the role of the person who stands up during the service, the people who stand up, is, is to do the ministry work, and the role of the people who, who sit during the service, their role is to sort of, sort of receive. And so it sets up this false relationship where I speak spiritual goods or I give spiritual goods, and you receive spiritual goods, you take spiritual goods, and you're sort of spiritually filled up, and we get back into the good and services. That is not what is suggested here. It's suggested here the reason that God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds and teachers, or pastors and teachers is so that we could equip the saints. What are we to equip the saints for? By the way, the saints in, in this definition is referring to you all. That's, that's kind of the thought process. You all are, are, are the saints. The, the, the one, the God has given some God has given some prophets, some apostles, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to do what? To equip you all, and in as much as I am a part of this body myself as well, but equip all of us for what? To equip us for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So why are there apostles? There are apostles, so apostles can do apostolic things like, like strategize and plan and figure out how the body of Christ might expand, but that expansion is meant to be for the equipping of the saints to do the work of, of ministry. And so uh, just using that one, there's, there's several ways that, that might work. One is that when the apostle has been gifted by God, apostolic uh, thinking, so um, we'll use the term, I think church planting movement leaders are, are, are uh, a perfect example of apostles in our culture. When the church planting movement leader is given by, by God or given by gifting or given by study, study uh, the, 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 uh, the vision or the leading for what should happen or where the church should expand and where the church should, should go, he is to do that. And the reason he does that is so that he, that he opens up uh, not only uh, new horizons or new places for, for the gospel to expand, but he also opens up new ministry for the people of Christ, the saints, to be involved in. So when the, when the apostle identifies it, the apostle goes back to the congregation, and it is the congregation that does the work of, of, of ministry there. It's the congregation who, who comes along and, and does that work. And so the apostle might, might have the vision 
vision, but the apostle works with other people in the congregation. The apostle works with, with the rest of the team to expand into further, into further ministry. The prophet might look around his neighborhood and the prophet might see in his neighborhood that there is a certain injustice in the neighborhood that is keeping the people from, from eating. And the, 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 the prophet might speak to that issue uh, for instance, this week I went to, went to a meeting, and the meeting was, was focused on, on uh, the failure rate of the urban athlete as he was graduating from, from our public schools. And so if you identify the urban athlete in, in, in our local schools, you would think because of their connection, because, because of athletics, that things would be going better for them. But they were doing a study, and they discovered that the urban athlete, after graduating from, from high school, was doing worse uh, was doing worse than, than the average student. And so the person who was, who, who, that was his original study, but as he studied, one thing he discovered is that the urban athlete in our, our culture is going from school, which starts at, you know sometime around 8 in the morning, and he's usually going all the way to practice, which ends sometimes around 7 o'clock at night, and a lot of times he's having lunch around 11, and from 11 to 7 at night, he's not eating anything. Furthermore, we discovered that the urban athlete a lot of times does not have food at home to go home to. So we're sending these athletes through all this. And so the, the pastor who had called this meeting called it because essentially he discovered that there was a major hunger problem amongst urban athletes in, in, our, in our respective schools and on our respective teams. And he called us together to say, what are we going to do about the fact that we have students not eating? They're with us all, all day. They're in, they're in practice. They look like they can barely stay awake. They look like they're losing strength. They've got nothing to eat. From our football fields to our volleyball uh, team to, to every practice, we have athletes who are not eating. Now, that is not necessarily church-based, though that meeting was called uh, by a pastor, but that, that recognition that there was a problem that, could, that maybe could be solved by people and calling the church together is a prophetic action. It's what the prophet does. And so the role of the prophet in the church, if the prophet sees something going on in the, in the community that could be responded to, the prophet speaks that truth to the congregation. The congregation then does the work of ministry. He goes, how do we go about fixing this in justice that is going on in our community. Uh, the prophet might be the one who identifies that, that, that there is hunger. The congregation comes along and feeds the hunger. The congregation uh, comes uh, when, um, when uh, disasters happen in, in our community. A lot of us have relationships with the schools through our KSSN networks, our uh, uh, services network, which is a, which is a a network that happens in the school brings together uh, agencies, brings together churches. But a lot of times when disaster happens, for instance, we had a fire uh, in the community a couple years ago. That, that group of people uh, lost their, their home. Someone had to step in and say, we'll solve this problem. The church itself then acts prophetically, identifies the problem. They have no home, they have no clothes, and they go about finding a way to, to, to uh, arrange for alternative housing. They go about finding a way to arrange for the fact that they've lost clothes. They've lost all of these. That's the church acting prophetically. The role of the prophet a lot of times is to identify that situation. The role of the saints, the role of us together... Is to, is to meet that need. Some are e evangelists. 
So Josh Grimaldi had a natural gift. He just, he, every place he went, he would end up talking to people. And every time he ended up talking to people, he just had a way about him. He would end up talking to them about, about the gospel and about expansion. So he'd be like, hey, I'm meeting with this group, of, this group of people over here. Would you be willing to come in and sit in? And so Josh was always doing evangelism. And the role of the church when doing evangelism is to come alongside the evangelism that, that is uh, that is being done to a lot of times. So sometimes he'd be hosting a Bible study of people that he met and he didn't need people simply to open their house. He would need people to, to, uh, to have cookies for them. He would need people to have, have snacks, all that kind of thing to just show hospitality. That's one of the ways in which the church does the work of ministry, right? So on, on those sorts of things. And then pastors and, and, and teachers... Uh, shepherding, here, here's what I know because I've had many, 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 many of you do this. The, do the, there's, a, there's an online test that can sort of identify whether you're an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher. It kind of identifies where your gifting is. I've had our congregation do that over, the, over multiple years and kept track of those. And what I know is that in, in congregations, when it says God has given some, what he appears to have done is given the number one gift he appears to give in the congregation is the gift of shepherding or the gift of, of, of pastoring. It's the gift of mutual care, right? And so a lot of you, I know that if I tested you, you would have the gift of, of, of care. And so it used to be, uh, it used to be the idea is, is that if one of you became sick and needed a, a visit, the pastor would come and visit you. Now, we still do that. If you get sick and you're in, in the hospital, uh, I'm going to come visit you. We still do that. But, but for the congregation to be as effective as it could be, I cannot be the only one doing pastoral care, right? Um, I do my best. I love you. We all know I have certain awkwardisms, right? I will be honest with you. If you do my, if you do my testing, I'm much more ape than I am shepherd, right? Apostle, prophet, prophet, evangelist. That's natural. So do I, well, if you're sick and you're in the house, I will be there and I will pray. But you know what? What I know is this, is that the majority of our congregation has the gift of shepherding. And if you have the gift of shepherding and the gift is given for the church, then it is your job to carry this out too. So that you know that someone from your missional community, someone from your open table, someone from, uh, uh, someone from your, your huddle, you know that someone from your huddle is, is sick. You should care for them. You should go to them. I was just reading this morning of um, uh, uh, someone, uh, a friend of mine was saying that his wife was sick and someone had come over to their house. Someone from their, from their community group had come over to their house to use their washer and dryer. And they ended up staying all day at their house, doing their laundry, cleaning their house, and watching their kids because mom was sick and could not do it. That's acting like a shepherd. That's shepherd behavior. That's pastoral, in that sense, behavior. Your ability to see the need and the people you care for. And frankly, if, if the church is functioning like it should in your huddles, you're going to be much more attuned to the needs of the people in your huddle than I am. And the reality is, especially since we have, we have huddles that are broken into, into men huddles and, and women huddles, most of you do not want uh, when you need, uh, uh, let me say it this way, most of you women do not want when you need serious pastoral counseling about something that is happening emotionally in, in your life, you do not want me showing up to solve that problem, right? 
I've been reading a lot that women do not want guys to solve the problem in general. I've read that online, that one of the things guys do when girls are like uh, having a problem, say she's crying, and we say, what's wrong? We're supposed to just listen and not try and fix that problem. Now, not, not really what guys do, but I imagine most of you uh, uh, women, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you've had a hard day at work and you're really struggling and you're having boss issues or issues with another lady on the work, probably the last thing you want is Dave Drake and I'll bring Dave Block with me just for fun, okay? And the two of us will come over and we'll shepherd you right through that. I don't think you want that. I don't want that either. As funny as that sounds to me in my head, I don't want that. But what you do want is that I know that you do this through your huddles is you mutually shepherd, you mutually pastor, you mutually speak into one another's lives. The gift of pastoring and shepherding happens to be very well distributed in this congregation, and we are to carry it out in each other's lives. Uh, the gift of teaching is what it sounds like. It includes uh, the role of, uh, uh, of preaching, but not just preaching. It includes the roles of huddle up, but not just huddle ups. It includes the roles of what, uh, what uh, predominantly our women do in our, our Sunday school program for our young people. It's the ministry of, and teaching of the word into people's lives, but it's not just that. I think also it, it can be discipleship when you model how it should be lived in, in a person's life. And so... Um, so just hinting at where we're going in a minute. So if you are, are a couple who has been married for a certain number of years and you're being successful at marriage, you've been successful at, at parenting, you've been successful at finances, any of these sorts of things, you will find that in any congregation there are young people who have not. And one of those things that young people need is, in, is an example and a way to see that, that function. And so one of the things, one of the ways you can be a teacher is to invite them into your life uh, through hospitality, invite them in, into your life through just getting together, and they can see your example of what a healthy marriage looks like. They can see your example of what good parenting looks like. They can see your example of what... Of what um, wise financial decisions look like. And so we can invite each other uh, into our, our lives like that. So the purpose of these gifts, though, is to equip the saints for ministry. The purpose of the apostle is not so that he could do the apostle thing and go, I'm an apostle. And then he, he goes and he gets a giant billboard uh, alongside the highway and it says, Apostle Dave Drake, come hear me preach. I think that's in a misuse of both the term apostle and, and the idea. Because the purpose of these gifting is not so that my name or any other name should be lifted up. The, the reason that, that people uh, have, have the, these gifts is not so that they might be known, but so that the church of Jesus Christ might be strengthened to do the work of ministry. And so it is not the job of the pastors to do the work of ministry and the job of the people who come to, to come and get filled up, but it's the job of the pastor to, to, to use these gifts. It's the job of the, of the leaders, I should say, to use these gifts for the building up of the congregation so that the congregation itself might carry out uh, these ministries, verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. The body of Christ is built up when the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, when all of those gifts are being used in the, in the congregation to expand the congregation, to expand both the congregation in, in people coming to Jesus, but also to expand the congregation's ability to follow Jesus so that more ministry can be done by the congregation. It is our job uh, 
uh, as leaders to set up and plan and listen to the leading of God and listen to the vision of Christ so that we lay out for you more ways and other ways in which you can do the work of ministry. And just as a... As a pause on this before I go on, we also are committed to the idea, though God gives some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to the congregation, that does not mean just because you do not have that gift most naturally that you are not required to to use those gifts in the body. In fact, all of us should be attempting to grow into all of those gifts at all times. This is especially true for things like evangelism, uh, you are called to be an evangelist. Some might be gifted evangelists. You are still called to be evangelists whether you're gifted in that or not. People don't, like, people don't like sometimes when I say that. They're like, well, if other people have the gift, I'm just not gifted evangelism. Let me flip that on the head. When I used to take this test, can I take, we take this test kind of regularly just to see where our gifting is. It's not perfect, but it, it kind of tells us where our gifting is. When we used to take this test, uh, my, my shepherding was way, 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 way at the bottom, right? Uh, my shepherding, because what this test measures is what you like to do, right? It's not that I don't like to shepherd. It's that, that, that it gives me a great amount of stress. It gives me like, oh, this is, and, and it can be hard. And so what I, what I realized is that I needed to grow in that area. And in fact, Anytime, one of the th- interesting things that happens is as you go through different events in life, you do grow in that area. And so subsequently, each time I've, I've, I've uh, looked at where I am on that, my, my growth in that area grew. But here's, here's what I'm saying. I often hear people say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to do evangelism. I wonder how long you would be satisfied if the pastoral staff came to you and said, listen, we've been talking, and we've decided that we don't have the gift of shepherding, so we're just not going to do that. We're just not going to care for you. I don't think that we would tolerate that, in fact. In fact, it is not acceptable for me. I've told you before, if you're sick and in the hospital, I'm going to be there to pray for you. I don't, not because I feel obligated, but because I love you and I care for you and I believe that's what I'm called to do. I'm going to love you. It's not going to be... um, it's not the same as something like, hey, I'm so excited to do this. It's not going, but I'm going to do that because I love you and I care for you and I believe that I have to grow in that area. And that's myself as a pastor. But what I want to say to you is that all of these gifts, though, that God has given some with specific and special gifting, perhaps, or, or, or more gifting in that area, that does not mean that you yourself are free from, at times, uh, uh, exercising these gifts. Well, I'll give you another example is, is, um, is to the prophet one, because that one's a little bit different. I found we used to do this. If you go back into the archives, you can find a, um, you can find a video we made back in the day. And the video is called Men in a Community Group and Women in a Community Group. Uh, I'm not going to show that to you, but go, go find that on, on YouTube sometime. And, and the idea in that was is that men can be really, really, really strong. Like, you need to get it together in, in a community group. And women, who I think are naturally, uh, natural-born uh, shepherds, pastors in this sense, can really, really care for one another, which is good. But there are times in which men need care for, and that would be shepherding. But there are times when women in their, in their, in their community groups need a prophet. 
right? And sometimes what I've identified as pastor, and I talk with my wife and other women, is sometimes in our, in, our, uh, in our community groups with people who are naturally shepherds, we don't get around to being a prophet. And what I mean is this is sometimes there'll be an issue in a, in a, in a, in a young woman's life where she'll say, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And you will know immediately that what she's doing is one, not good for her, and two, just sinful. And rather than calling out that sin, that's what a prophet would, that would be acting prophetically, saying, you need to leave the sin behind. It's not good for you. Instead of doing that, sometimes uh, it's easier to continue to shepherd. It's easier to continue to affirm. It's easier to do that. But sometimes we all need sin called out in, in our life. And so one of the ways being a prophet might come forward in your life is if you're in a missional community with someone or a, we're it's my fault that I change the names on these some, all the time. But if you're in a huddle, right? If you're in a huddle with someone and that person is talking about sin, it is good to be affirming and it's good to be loving. But if they are in sin, sometimes you need to be a prophet. You need to speak the truth in love. You need to say to them, stop sinning. Guys, if the same person comes to us week after week after week after week and goes, I'm still struggling with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling, and they're always telling you what they struggle with, but they're never leaving the struggle, you need to look them in the eye and say, stop sinning, right? You need to do that in an appropriate way, in a caring way, in a loving way, but you need to tell them to stop sinning, and it's the same. Ladies, in our mission, one of the things you ladies do, do, I feel like, much better than myself specifically, I don't want to, like, uh, gender stereotypes, so better than me, is, like, your ability to just look at each other and care for each other and tolerate each other and do this. I have... I have struggles with that. I remember once my wife was sitting at a table listening to someone uh, go on and on and on, and the person was just saying all kinds of really know-it-all-y things. And, and the thing about it was the things that they were being know-it-all-y about, they didn't have any expertise in. And my wife had a master's degree in. And I'm like, none of what they just said is true. Why she? But she just let it go, and she just smiled. And I asked her later, and I'm like, How'd you not confront that? She said, you know what? Sometimes it's just easier to let things go. I'll be honest with you, I cannot relate. I struggle to let things go. It's a struggle for me. But here's the, here's the flip side of that. It is, that is a good, good, good trait to have. But sometimes in, in your huddles, if you truly love the person in your huddle and they're talking about something that is sinful and something that is wrong, you need to look them in the eye and go, you need to stop for your own good and because of who Jesus is and because of who he wants you to be, you need to stop sinning. You need to leave that behind. And so that's one way that we need to all kind of grow in our prophetic gifting because hopefully our prof when I say prophet, I don't mean angry. I don't mean mean. I just mean sometimes we need to speak the truth and love into people's lives. And so all of us need to grow in, in the, these areas. Why? So that the saints can be equipped uh, in, for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity of faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. In other words, when we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers in our congregations functioning like they, like they should, and they're helping other people grow into those roles and exercise them like they should, we're all growing into maturity. And when we do that, we grow into Christ and we become, uh, we have unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And that's a... Here's, here's one thing that Alan Hirsch would say, Alan Hirsch who writes extensively on, on this passage. He would suggest that Jesus 
perfectly modeled all of these. He perfectly modeled what it was to be an apostle. He perfectly modeled what it was to be a, to be a prophet. He perfectly modeled what it was to be an evangelist. He perfectly modeled what it was to be a shepherd. He perfectly modeled what it was to be a, a teacher. Now we, the church... We do not perfectly model that, but we need to model it. We need to live it out. We need to be doing ministry together, and all of us need to be doing ministry. And what seems to be suggested here is that we, together, the church, as we start to display these gifts in, in our broken, in, 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 even though we're broken, even though we're falling, together we start to, to display and grow into a maturity with a stature that is measured by Christ. Fullness. In other words, Christ is the model that we're going for. We want to look most like Jesus. And when we, when we start to live out the gifts in, in our lives, when we all start to minister in, in that way, we start, we start to have a stature, and that stature is measured against Christ's fullness, which, which can be daunting, but is not said in a negative way here. Essentially, it's saying the church looks more and more like Jesus as it continues to, to live out and to do the work of ministry. Uh, verse uh, 14, then we will no longer be like little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow every way into him who is the head, Christ, from him the whole body, fitted together, knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Here's, here's the idea, and we've, we've gone over, but here's, here's what I want you to catch, is that I believe Christ has given to, to the congregation gifting. He's given not only gifting to the congregation, but he's given gifted men and women to the congregation. So in our congregation, there's people with apostolic gifting. There's people with prophetic gifting. There's people with a natural gift of evangelism. There's people who are naturally pastors. They're just gifted shepherds. You've met them. They speak into your life when you're down in it, in it and, and God uses that, that to, to transform your heart. There's gifted teachers in our congregation, whether, whether by example or, or, or by, by teaching a class or whatever, there's gifted teachers. When all of those things happen in the church and when they're being used and we're, we're teaching them to other people and we're exercising these gifts, what happens is that the whole congregation becomes an organism that works together to display this giftedness to the world. And when that happens, we grow up and we reflect Jesus better. And as we reflect Jesus better, uh, we grow into Christ better. When that happens, the whole body is fitted and knit together, right? We work together. The church becomes, becomes functional. The church becomes what it, what it should be. Here's, here's going back to what I was saying. Here's, here's one of our bedrock beliefs, is that the role of the pastoral leadership at, at Crosswinds is, is to work like, like a training organization, to work like a, uh, an equipping organization and make it so that you can carry out the work of ministry in your life. If you've been around Crosswinds, you know that some of our best ideas um, come from you guys. Someone will come to me and say, we should do this. What about this? And I go, yeah, let's do that. How do I help you, you do that? Other people say, let's do this. What about this? And I say, how do I help you do that? How do I help you carry that out? You know that we believe about like evangelism. You might say, I've got this person I'm trying to reach for Jesus. Would you be interested in going with me to this sporting event? Me and him, yeah, let's, let's do that. And we work on evangelism together. We invite people over to our houses together so they can connect. We work together at this. But what I believe with all my heart is that the church most fully reflects who Jesus is when all of the church 
is working together to most fully reflect who, who Jesus is. I am, I am called vocationally to be your, your leader, but I am not called vocationally to do the work of the ministry. I am called to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That is my job, to prepare you to, to, to when you have to speak prophetically into the lives of people in your house, to prepare you when, when the time is ready to give an answer for why there's a hope in you, to, to be an evangelist to your neighbor. That's why, why we're here. I do teach, but I want to prepare you to teach too. How do I want to prepare you to teach? I want to prepare you to teach your children and your grandchildren what it means to be children of Christ and lovers of the good news, lovers of the gospel, so that they grow up into the full stature of the faith. This is what, what we do. I have a Sunday role where I seem more prominent, but my job throughout the week is to, is to, is to make sure that I am working on ways to build you up so that you might grow more into the body so that you might do the work of ministry. We have used a saying uh, often that we, as we regularly do, that we stole from somebody else who said it someplace else. Uh, I was listening to, again, Alan Hirsch. He seems to be coming up a lot in this message. But I was listening to Alan Hirsch, and he said, in the Chinese church, they have a saying. And the saying is this, every member a church planter. I went, wow. And their point was, that every member in the congregation, especially in the underground church, has to be ready to, to lead a congregation in their home. Every member is a church plan. And so we took that. That's why that's not, not the only reason, but that one of the reasons we say every member a minister is from that idea. But we've said that to you, that all of you, in as much as you are doing open tables, in as much as you are meeting your neighbors, in as much as you, you are being a good neighbor and doing evangelism, you are the front lines of church planting. I'm not the front lines of church planting. God has called me to be to be uh, the, the uh, one who often has apostolic vision for how Crosswind should plant churches in Grand Rapids. But I'm not the front line. You who live in the neighborhoods are the front line, right? We had this conversation once before. One of our people who lived in Godwin Heights had to leave Godwin Heights and move into another neighborhood. And they were very, very upset that they had to leave Godwin Heights. And I reminded them of this, is that God has often used diaspora or the spreading of believers for the expansion of the church. It happened in, in, in Acts. He tells the, the disciples to go. They, they don't go. Persecution breaks out. Finally, they're forced to go. And, and when they went, they shared Jesus along the way and the church spread. And so sometimes crazy things happen. So I remember saying to him, maybe you are the diaspora. Maybe God is sending you to the neighborhood to be the front line of the church plant that will happen there. Because Godwin Heights is not the only neighborhood that needs Jesus. God freely is not the only neighborhood that needs Jesus. Burton Heights isn't the only neighborhood that needs Jesus. The West Side's not the only, but maybe God sends you someplace. But what I know is this, if we are committed to this idea that every member is a minister, then every member is on the front line of church planting, because, and I'll give you uh, another expansion of, of what, another thing we believe, uh, there was a guy named Peter Wagner, and Peter Wagner said, the planting of churches is the most effective means of evangelism under the sun. We affirm that. Planting churches is effective evangelism. But we also affirm this, that in, in post-Christendom, Neil Cole responded with this, so Peter Wagner said, the planting of churches is the most effective means of evangelism under the sun. Neil Cole responded with, evangelism is the most effective means of church planting under the sun. And we affirm both of those things, but what we really believe is this, is that if you aim for evangelism and discipleship and go into a community and evangelize and disciple, then the church will naturally be drawn together. The church will be organized in that, in that place. You will eventually have a church. That's what we do, and that's what we believe. And so when God sends you to your home, 
when God sends you to your neighborhood, wherever you live, whether it's here, whether you're three blocks up like I am, or whether you live on the other side of town, wherever you go, you are on the front lines of, of, of church planting. And some of you go, well, I can't be on the front lines of church planting. I couldn't do it. No, see, God has given apostles, prophets. He's given those gifts to help with that. But you do the work of ministry. I read a story this week. It's the, it's the greatest story I've ever read. It was about a group of 80-year-olds who moved into the same retirement home so they could plant a church amongst the people there. Now, if a group of 80-year-olds can do it, if they can be the front lines of church planting, if you love your neighbor and you grow in your evangelism, if you do that, if you grow in, in these things, if you do the work of ministry, how are you not the front lines of, of, of ministry? How are you not the front lines of church planting? I believe that you are. And Crosswinds is predicated and based upon the idea that you are. Our job, Pastor Tom Shaw, Pastor Aaron Shaw, my, my job, is to equip you for that ministry, but you're the church planters. You're the first lines. You're the ones we're sending in. You're the ones. God has chosen you where you live to be the, to be the one to do the work of ministry there, and it's our job to equip you. That's what... That's a crosswinds value. You will see it through everything we do. You will see it expressed. You'll see that if you were in our leadership meetings, we have discussions about that. Our thinking is based upon that, right? That's why, why you know, right, we're a little plain. We don't have a, an extravagant lighting system. We don't have... Um, a lot of things, and we, we do things in sort of a laid-back, sort of different way because it reflects our, our community. But we, the, one of the reasons we do this, it's not our expectation that we would set up a service and that all kinds of people would come in to hear me preach and Aaron play, right? Now, I'll tell you, I would come to hear Aaron and do worship, but there isn't nobody, there isn't anybody who desperately needs to come hear me preach. They don't. I, I'm not that important in, in the whole scheme of the thing. That's not what's needed. What is needed is the expansion of congregations all over Grand Rapids, meeting people where they're at, where they're evangelized, drawn together, and someone who will, who will sing spiritual hymns with them, who will, who will, say, who will, who will open the Bible with them. And, and so the idea is we're not looking to expand myself. I know that we have... Um, congregations. Uh, uh, we have two congregations now. Soon we'll have three congregations. We're going to continue to expand congregations over Grand, all over Grand Rapids. And sometimes we don't know how to speak about that because in our culture, they are doing the thing where people are putting up congregations and they're, what they're doing is they're taking videos of, of the pastor and they're showing videos of the pastor at that next place and they're kind of, kind of expanding their brand and expanding their name. They're like, this is our brand. Come to so So much so that there's, there's a congregation in Black them. I think they're doing good work, but, but they're in Wyoming, and they have another city's name <laughs> in, in, their, in their church name because they're trying to expand the brand. They're this city, Church of Wyoming. It doesn't, right? We're, we're not really looking to expand the brand like that, and we're not going set to up, set up other congregations where people see video of me because, listen, nobody needs to see a video of me, you know? And, um, and so at the heart of of what we're doing is we're trying to not expand a brand, but we're trying to expand uh, 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 an idea that we think is biblical, uh, a biblical plan of discipleship that makes all the, all the members the ministers and, and your, your pastors and, and your leaders the guides and opening it up for you to minister. So that at the end of the day, I could really care less if anybody has ever heard of Dave Drake. I could really care less if anybody has ever heard of 
heard of crosswinds. I don't really care. There was a time when I was young, foolish, and very motivated for all of those things. But as I've grown into Jesus, I just don't care about that anymore. I want his name to be known. I want his name to be exalted. And the best way to do that is to take, to take the ministry and the focus off from people like me who speak and give it to the people who it's supposed to be, which is all of us, right? All of us doing the work of ministry. So that all of us might one day say, like Count Zinzendorf uh, from years past. Count Zinzendorf was a, was a person of some means who gave up all of his means and all of the money that, that he could have had and all of the fame and all of that that he could have had and gave that away so that he could go and preach the gospel. And Count Zinzendorf was famous for saying this, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's kind of my goal currently. I just want to preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. I'm okay with that. But, but the way in which I think God has called for that to happen is for the you, Crosswinds, to be the most equipped, the most active group of ministers out there. See, my passion is that Godwin Heights might know. My passion it overwhelms me at times that Godwin Heights might know that Jesus is Lord. And I'm passionate for Godfrey Lee that, that, that Godfrey Lee might know that Jesus is Lord and people might shout it out there. I'm passionate for the West Side that the gospel of Jesus Christ might come to, to root and, and come to grow on the West Side and, and justice might bloom and the neighborhood might change and people might go, why did that happen? And the uniform testimony would be because we know Jesus here. I'm passionate about that, that it expand all over the city especially in underrepresented in urban neighborhoods, that, that the gospel would spread like rapid fire and Jesus would be proclaimed there. But I don't need my name or our name attached to that. But I do know this, is that God has called us for a time and a place and he's called us to be a congregation where the people do the work of the ministry. And as you do the work of the ministry, that vision might come true and not that we would receive the glory, but that our Lord would. That's my that's my passion for this church, and that's my passion for you, and that all of us, every member, might be a minister of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's one of our, it's one of our greatest family values. Pray with me.